0: Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Marianne O'Hara. She's an author. Her new book is Little Matches, a memoir of grief and light. When their only child was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis at the age of two, Marianne O'Hara and her husband were told that Caitlin could live a long life or die in a matter of months. 31 years later, Following an excruciating two-year wait on the transplant list and a last-minute race to locate a pair of healthy lungs, a story that attracted nationwide attention, Caitlin lost her battle with this pernicious disease. Little Matches is Marianne's intimate recounting of Caitlin's journey and her own, weaving a rich narrative of memories with text messages, emails, journal entries, and even drawings. She's a former fiction editor of Plowshares, a Reiki, is a Reiki master certified by the University of Vermont's Larner College of Medicine as an end-of-life doula, so that she might better speak to the state of end-of-life care in our culture. Welcome to the show, Marianne. Catherine, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So great, great to be here. Great to have you here. Uh, I know um, one of the things when Caitlin died, people are asking, mm-hmm. "How are you doing? How are you doing?" And one of the what you, I guess, came up with was, "I'm functioning." So I'm going to ask you now, "How <laughs> are you
1: doing?" <laughs> oh my goodness, I am still functioning. And as I, as I talk about in the book, functioning almost becomes like a sine wave. It just goes up and down. And, and I think grief is like that in so many ways. I, I think that grief will be with me forever. In fact, I know it will. But so is joy. So is living. So is love. I really believe that grief and love are, are on the same spectrum. So I don't plan to stop grieving Caitlin. And I have, day, well, you know, Mother's Day weekend was, was hard. It's been emotional. The book's been out three weeks now and it's been great. It's been wonderful. I'm hearing amazing stories from strangers who say they're inspired and comforted by our story, but it makes me really miss her too. So I'm functioning. I'm functioning very well. Thank you.
0: Well, you sound like you are. And I have (laughs) to say, (laughs) um, your book, it was it was about Caitlin, it was about you, it was about your relationship. I mean, she was so, uh, or is so alive to me when I'm mm-hmm. reading the book. Um, I think that, you know, b- before we went on the air, we were talking about some of the connections you and I have to the guests that I just had on. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, and I, I maybe do want to talk about some of those things, but let's talk about Cystic fibrosis. I, I'm very familiar with it. It's uh, in our family, so that's a connection. Oh, synchronicity, really? mm-hmm. which you talk about a lot. So I, I, I do. Um, yes. Uh, I, I do want to talk about that as well. So Caitlin was diagnosed at the age of two. And up until and, that point, mm-hmm. any signs or signals that maybe there was something there that wasn't right?
1: The first year I, bre- I breastfed her and she was fine. And, you know, as Back in those days, I didn't realize just how good breast milk was for a child, yes. and now we know a bit better. But once I stopped breastfeeding, she began the um, typical failure to thrive. She started losing weight, cold after cold. You know, I fed her well. I, treat, You know, we took great care of her. She wasn't in daycare, and it didn't really make sense. And finally, after months of this, a doctor said, let's go to Children's Hospital and, and rule out cystic fibrosis. And even then, because she was, she had started off, at the 90th percentile for height and weight, they sent us home that day. They said, we don't think she has it. Why don't you go home? And then later that night I was alone with her and the doctor called really apologetic and said, I'm, I'm sorry. She has cystic fibrosis. You guys are going to need to come in here tomorrow
0: and, and that, start a whole you, new life. Yeah, a whole new life. Absolutely. So, and, and what was yes. your gut? What was your reaction then? You know, here I have, oh, as you said, you know. Yeah.
1: Horrible. Horrible. And I write in the book how I've always kept uh, journals. So I have records of exactly how I felt. I truly, truly thought I can never be happy again. I can never laugh again. I didn't even want to eat. I lost so much weight then. It was was horrible. But yet, you know, we humans have this amazing ability to adapt. And we are very resilient. And we learned how to live with CF. We learned to live with chronic uncertainty, and I made a decision early on that I was not going to ruin today worrying about tomorrow. One of my husband's brothers died around that time at age 29 of a, a brain aneurysm and left behind a, a pregnant wife and a little girl, and, and I thought, wow, we, we really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So Caitlin could live many years. I started to really seek out the stories of people who had been diagnosed with CF when they were, you know in the in the 1950s and 60s when life expectancy was eight and they were still alive. And I and I just focused on that. That was sort of my eyes on the prize kind of moment. I'm going to focus on the positive here and give and her the best Ka- life we can.
0: And I, I mean, Caitlin reflected all of that. I mean, reflected the kind of life that you just described that you were going to do for her. I mean, she, she was a beautiful, beautiful, outside a beautiful, beautiful girl as well as inside. But, um, uh, you know, I mean, you have the little picture of her on the front on the cover of the book. Um, and yeah. also an yeah, amazing young woman. But uh, so I think one of the things you talk about in the book is that well, we never you just gave the example. None of us know when we're going to die. You know, maybe we think we do and that we have control over our lives, but we don't. And you actually talk about Caitlin trying to control everything. She was kind of a control freak. Um,
1: Mm -hmm. but (laughs) um, She had to at the end because really when you're that sick, no doctor can really be in charge of you. Um, It's so complicated. You kind of need to know everything that's going on
0: was a very detailed person, but she also did a lot of things. I, I mean, I was,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, with her friends school, uh, all of those kinds of things that she was exhausted when she did them. She had to sort of pick and choose like what she wanted to do because she couldn't do it yeah. all. Um, I mean, all of all, just the way your whole family operated, I guess is the word, just uh, everything just seemed to, to click. But tell us about Synchronicities and connections, and what that means to you and and, and to Caitlin, because I want to get into that. Because I'm going to mention sure. a lot of connect. Yeah, <laughs> I just have to add, okay. Okay, because I'm going to just give you what? an example. Before uh, it was mm-hmm. actually Mother's Day, and I have three sons. My youngest son's name is Andrew. Caitlin's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. born. He was born 1983 when Caitlin was born. Right. Uh, he called. Called me up on Mother's Day, and I told him who I was going to be interviewing, you know, today. And then he started saying, "I see this red, ho- all these red hawks circling around." Oh my goodness! Oh uh, I my said, goodness! I said, Andrew, what do you mean? He he has never mentioned it. He said we have lots mm. of red hawks here in California. I said, Oh my mm. god! <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm starting out with that connection, <laughs> and you can explain. I love it. that. But, yeah, I
1: can. Well, there are so many synchronicities in the book. And when I first started writing the book, my idea was to honor Caitlin to to share who she was, her wisdom. And but, you know, I'm a writer and I knew the book needed to have a, a, point and, a and a journey, so to speak. And I wanted to recount my own search for answers to those big life questions. You know, the questions of meaning. Why are we here? Does our life serve any real purpose? And in the beginning, I didn't really know what I believed beyond this human existence. I had ideas, and I had speculated on them in my fiction, but now it was re- everything was really at stake. And what happened was I didn't really seek out the paranormal, but it certainly sought out me, and so many synchronicities began to happen, including hawks, which I discuss in the book, that after a while, I was like, you know to discount this is really myopic. Why shouldn't there be more to life than this life, really? So I set out to look for answers in any way I could find them. To arrive at, at a kind of knowing for myself, so by the end of the book I do have a good sense of, of what I believe, but I, I do think you have to discover what you believe for yourself. It's not up to somebody else to tell you what you believe you know, we so, all know what deep knowing feels like. So regarding the hawks, what has been very interesting since this book came out is just how many strangers <laughs> have said, Oh my goodness. I finished reading your book. I closed the book. I closed my eyes. I was sitting on my front porch. I opened my eyes and a hawk was flying over. Yesterday, somebody tagged me on Facebook. My, I had to sell my parents, ch- my childhood home after my mom passed. And I was feeling full of grief, and I had finished your book, and we locked the door and, and left the house, and, and two hawks just flew right in front of us. And I, and I, I just, I loved it. I, I, think, um, I think synchronicities are wonderful to think about. I think they're super comforting, and they do happen. And just listen, I was listening in a little bit um, as you were talking to Stephen Gardner, and I thought, oh, my goodness. So many synchronicities. Jabberwocky on Martha's Vineyard, which is uh, you know where we love Kate was one of Caitlin's favorite places. We had to wait for we had to move from Boston to Pittsburgh to wait for her transplant, and that's the home of Mr. Rogers. And I remember the day we first arrived there, and we saw a display about Mr. Rogers. Caitlin said, "That feels like a sign. You know what could what could be bad in in the land of Mr. Rogers?" And then. I was working out at the gym in Pittsburgh one day, and I ran into Dick Hoyt, and I said, oh my goodness, you are such an inspiring person, and I was so happy I got to meet him. And then just listening to what Stephen said about, you know, missing pushing a wheelchair. You know, you live with these, these medical issues your entire life, and, and then suddenly it's, it's all over, and it's a big part of who you were, and, and you do miss it. I totally get that.
0: Well, I'm going to give you another synchronicity and a connection. Okay. Uh, you talk okay. about Barry in the book when you were in in Pittsburgh and you started volunteering uh-huh. and talking to patients who were dying, and Barry was one mm-hmm. of them, and he had ALS. Oh, yeah. Well, my boyfriend yeah. of thirty years, his name is Barry. He's a Taoist. He's uh, oh my is in the agribusiness business, which with uh, birds. This was the uh, mm-hmm. that was his how he earned his living, a photographer. Uh, <laughs> Come on, and a very interesting man. I'm actually quoting your, you know, you, you from the book. But how's that?
1: Oh my goodness, I, you know, it's incredible, so. really. And <laughs> Barry was just Barry was something. And I feel like Barry sends. He he told me, well, Caitlin's taking the Hawks because he he survived past Caitlin. He said Caitlin's taking the Hawks. Um, I'll send you Blue Jays because I told him Blue Jays are my favorite sound that any bird makes, and. Some funny things have really, really happened with Blue Jays, and um, yeah, he, he was pretty special. And that's a cool, very cool synchronicity. I love it. <laughs> and,
0: and I'll give you one more, and then we'll go on. But I, I just, I know you okay. were out in California okay. with your husband and, mm-hmm. and staying. You said at a very beautiful hotel was at the under the Golden Gate Bridge, and it was a, formerly a military fort. That's where we mm-hmm. stayed when we went to Andrew, who was Kate. Caitlin's age is Caitlin's age, mm-hmm. uh, for yep. his graduation from uh getting an oh. MF, yeah, and that's so that resort was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, okay, I can go on. I'm, I'm not gonna, I mean, there, I, I have know,
1: about, I know. Yeah. Well, it is so, it is so funny, but I do in the beginning, I started recording them, and in and then I just couldn't because truly things happen every day, and 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 sometimes they're quite impressive so it, it's, you, you can't it report all the of them of right the mystery yeah. of life no I can't but Caitlin's cousin Sinead um in Ireland who I'm very close to in the beginning we used to share the stories and we would say unbelievable oh my goodness so unbelievable and now we just say believable it's a shorthand believable yeah. <laughs> because they do happen don't know how to explain but they do happen
0: uh, yeah, and then the more aware you become, the more you see them or you're able to feel them. You have to kind of get that awareness, I think, at first, right? Exactly. And, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and then you can look for them. Now, Caitlin, okay, so she obviously, I mean, as the years went by, she was getting uh, sicker or, you know, less able to function in, you know, the way she wanted to. Um, right. I wanted to talk about the transplant. I mean, we don't have that, you mm-hmm. know, the because... You know, you had to wait what two years for her to mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh and not able to get. But they didn't do trans. Right. Yeah, didn't do transplants in Massachusetts or bring them in women. Well, they do.
1: Of, it's kind of a long do. story. It's, yeah, um, it's because of a, a a an organism she was culturing, and only a, a, one place would would agree to do it. So. It's a long story, and I do explain it in the afterword of the book, the, the unfairness of that. But basically with CF, your lung function declines over time. Every time you, you have an infection, the lung tissue gets damaged, and then it doesn't function. So over, it's a very progressive, chronic, slow disease. And for some people, it never really gets that bad. Some people die very, very young. Caitlin was able to function, <laughs> again, using that word function, yeah. pretty well especially in her early 20s, but by her mid to late 20s, it was difficult, and she looked so normal from the outside. I put a little picture on my Instagram post of her yesterday um, with a little tag that said invisible illness because she just looked absolutely gorgeous in this photograph, and her lung function was at about 30% of normal then. But, you know, transplant, there aren't tons of organs to go around. I mean, there are just so many issues. I'm sure you could talk to so many guests about the issues behind organ transplantation and, and how thorny it is. But because she was small, petite, had O-positive blood, all these different factors all added up to make it a very long wait for her. We didn't know. We hoped it would be a few months. We never knew. It was actually two and a half years that she was on the list. So she had to wait too long. Her body just wasn't as strong as it, as it was when we, when she first went on the list. So yeah.
0: So she, because of her size and and uh, I, she was mm-hmm. and being petite and small, she had to have a lung that was small, not a. I think you yeah. say in the book, yeah, not a big lung like on a big man. So no, um, and
1: he, and often the donors are men. You know, like it's true that motorcycle victims are often organ donors, and usually those people are men. And when we were in crisis in the ICU, and every offer was that was coming in it was it was just usually a man who was like six feet tall, too large.
0: When now you're an end of life doula, uh, I, I am, yes. Yeah, um, and I was going to just ask you, like, with the way <laughs> Caitlin died, do you have any things that you would have wanted to? We always have regrets, but our change mm-hmm. or had to do differently, and maybe that motivated you to become, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but an end-of-life doula, which is like a right. doula in the beginning, but it's at the end.
1: Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, I'd always wanted to, I've been a, a lifelong volunteer. I used to volunteer at one of the Boston hospitals, and, and I really, as I you know, said, I like working, I like being with people who need kindness most, I wasn't really interested in working in helping out in the maternity. I liked being in like the cancer ward, and I think that people at the end of life have a good sense of what's important and what's not. So when I saw how horrifying Caitlin's end of life was, and I thought, well, we never we never talked about it. She was young. Um, we talked about the fact that she would probably she would like, very likely die young, but we always thought we had more time. Because we always do think we have more time, right? And yes. so certainly we, ne- we never really discussed, gee, would you want this? Would you want that? And after her passing, after I finished the draft of this book, I thought, well, I think I'm ready for hospice volunteering now. I had always wanted to do it. And I heard about this end-of-life doula class that UVM offers at their medical school. And I thought, oh, I, I want to take this course not to become a full-time end-of-life doula because you can hire a person to really help you with any kind of support you need once you get that terminal diagnosis. Um, But just so that I could know what it was all about and so I could know how I could support people when I do do the hospice volunteering, which COVID has nixed for the moment. Um, But yeah, so definitely I think that, you know, we over-prepare for birth in this country, ridiculously so, and we completely underprepare for the end of life. And it's understandable, but it doesn't really make any sense because we are all temporary and it's a short life. Even if it's a long life, it's a short life. And hoping for the best at the end doesn't work for most people. And people find themselves scrambling. My niece is a hospice nurse in Southern Maine. And she said, my when people get the diagnosis, they're so scared. She said, I, I never had even heard of a doula before you. And I know it would help people so much to have somebody who just knows the ropes can help you in any way. Again, any kind of support you need, whether it's, you know, conducting a life interview to really think about what matters to you and, in answering those questions. Yeah. I don't want to die in the ICU of a hospital. Um, Walking dogs, coordinating visits with the hospice team, sitting vigil, it's like a really empathic, caring assistant who can help you with anything, um, who can do anything when, when doing is impossible, basically.
0: And I think so, what you're saying is, you know, there are choices at the end. I used to be on the death and dying committee at the hospital. I used to do hospital social work. We changed the name. It's uh-huh. a little bit of hospital uh-huh. humor, but we to... Patient care coordinating committee, which wasn't really appropriate either. But anyway, yeah, you do have choices at the end, and I think that you you mentioned that word hope, and there are people are and even physicians, maybe not so much now. You can have hope. You can have hope. Well, you know, that's that's fine. I mean, you don't want to give up, but let's talk about what is happening and use your energy to sort of embrace that. Like, which is what you're saying, I guess. But uh, there's so much to talk about. That's such good work. We only have a couple minutes uh. left.
1: Okay, sure. <laughs> I know, I so, could ask you forever. I wish we were I, all in the same room with Dr. Gardner. <laughs> with St- I
0: know, we should have had a, that's true, that would be great. Maybe next time. Um, Maybe next but, time. But, yeah, Little Matches is the title of the book, A Memoir of Grief and Light. And uh, I've been talking to Marianne O'Hara and her daughter, Caitlin, um, who are the two characters in the book, right? Um <laughs>
1: So <laughs> exactly, a lot of the writing is hers. <laughs>
0: yes, yes, which I love. That's great because it, it's it's both mm-hmm. of you. Um, so we can get the book. Bookstores everywhere um, and mm-hmm. online. Give us website and/or websites to go to.
1: Sure. Um, yeah, the book is obviously out in hardcover and Kindle, and I recorded the audio book, which is downloadable from Audible. And my website is my name, which is Marianne with an E O H A R A dot com, and. I have everything on there. I have photos, and I have a really great book trailer that my filmmaker brother made, and it's really oh, fun great. to watch. And um, it's got images of Caitlin and and me talking about why I wrote the book. But it's about a minute and a, and a half. But people like it, and yeah, it's um, it's all good. I'm and it's funny because my husband and I just the other day he was saying I think some of the people I know are afraid to read it because they think it's going to be really sad. And not a minute later, I got an email from somebody that said, who knows me, who said I hadn't yet started the book because a friend's son is dying of cancer, and I I didn't think I had the emotional capacity. But last night, the book was calling, and I began reading, and I was just hit with wave upon wave of warmth and light. Like, who knew it was going to be so comforting? So um, I've been hearing that a lot, and it makes me really happy, and it's inspiring people to do things like quit their job, which also makes me happy.
0: Well, you've done a good job. You've done a great tribute to Caitlin, and um, she's there and she's seeing it or feeling it. Good, good job, Mom. Yeah, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, lovely to talk to you. Great to talk to you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to the Catherine Zox Show.